Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we are talking with my good buddy, Brad, and the topic is reducing cost, risk, and carbon with Brad Ganane. How's it going there, Brad? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks again for having me, Joe. It's always good to catch up and chat with you. So looking forward to our conversation today. Yep. So I spoke to Brad last week and we we're talking about some of the new things they're doing over at Freight Waves. And I convinced him to come on my podcast and talk about <laughs> it. So before we go any further, Brad, please introduce yourself and your company. Absolutely. So my name is Brad Ganane. I'm our VP of sales at Freight Waves. Our primary goal here within Freight Waves is to bring visibility to the market. So we do that through a lot of people. I think know us, FreightWaves.com, pretty powerful news media outlet. Myself and my team are much more focused on the data analytics side through Sonar. So, you know, we've built up a pretty cool, awesome data product and solutions that are powering it, which we'll talk about here a little bit today. And so, yeah, so we're excited. We've been around for almost a little over four years now. And Sonar and the products there on the Sonar side are actually coming up here on their three-year anniversary. So newer to the scene, relatively speaking, but definitely I've been around a while here, Joe, and you know, have some good things to chat with you about. Yep. Yep. One thing I think is sometimes missed by people is Freight Waves does such a good job with the events and the media and all the podcasts and the videos that people go, oh, and they have some data product. It's almost, I mean, Sonar is an important part of what they're doing over there. And I always think they've done such a good job with the content. And I've had a lot of people from Freight Waves on the podcast before. And one of the things I always say is as somebody who's written a lot of articles and does podcasts, I was always amazed at like the articles that come out and the, I think I talked to uh, Craig Fuller and he said, yeah, Mm -hmm. we've got writers, but then we also have all these experts. Mm -hmm. Normally it's the, you know, when I write about something, I'm writing from my own experience, but to have all these knowledgeable guys and then comparing them with writers, it's very impressive. And obviously the show's, and all the interviews are fantastic. So it is the Freightwave juggernaut, just not media. <laughs> so, Brad, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? And give us some career highlights before you joined the juggernaut over there, the pirate ship at Freightwaves. Uh, yeah, exactly. The pirate. You have talked to Craig, absolutely, if, if you're using that term. <laughs> so, yeah, so I grew up in the southwest of Michigan, in St. Joe, Michigan where I went to school. I've always been involved in sports, Joe. I was from an early on age. I was first team All-State in basketball and football. So I I think as you and I were talking about, you know, it's been something really important and something that has shaped me as, as, you know, being involved in team sports, learning how to work with people and the demand, time management, all those things have been really powerful in my life and, you know, have shaped my career. Um, From there, I went to Hillsdale College to play basketball, which is a for a lot of Michiganders, nice. they yeah, they certainly know. Um, I get I get mixed reviews. I know some of my friends in Northwest Arkansas have heard of Hillsdale and big fans, and some people kind of you know give you a weird look and aren't sure exactly right. what that is or, or where it is at times. <laughs> right. So uh, for people who don't know the area, St. Joe, Michigan is that's right over on Lake Michigan, and mm-hmm. 
beautiful, beautiful area. That's where Whirlpool's based. And, yep, uh, exactly. actually, and actually, some people don't know, is the Whirlpool founder is named Upton and his great granddaughter's Kate Upton. So she was, I think she was born in St. Joe's too. But um, she, yeah, she, I, went to Up, I went to Upton Middle School, Joe. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, the, the Uptons are pretty. <laughs> yeah, and there's a congressman, Fred Upton. Yep. He's, uh, that's uh, Kate Upton's uncle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but a beautiful area over there. I mean, I love that area. It's funny because it seems like when you're driving, you're out, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, then you just hit St. Joe's. Beautiful spot. Beautiful spot. So you played basketball at Hillsdale. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so played basketball there. Was lucky enough to get to play after high school and, you know, get school paid for is always nice. So was able That's to use an expensive those school, too. <laughs> Able to use those talents and, uh, you know, really a great school there. Larry Arn has done a phenomenal job. The president of Hillsdale College, you know, building that out and into what it is today. So was really thankful for my opportunity there. You know, had a great athletic career there as well. I was the first Division II All-American for the basketball program. Very nice. That was exciting. And that launched me into kind of the next phase. And I was able to turn that and play overseas for a short amount of time in, in England. and. Uh, the British Basketball League, which was a fun, a very fun time, a, a wild, a wild and crazy year because I also, Joe got my, I got my master's degree while I was there too. So it was kind of just a whirlwind. Uh, Sweet. Yeah, I went to So where'd you play in Europe? England. I mean, where'd you play in England? Yeah, so I played, I played for a school or not a school, excuse me. I played for a club just south of Newcastle called the Durham Wildcats, which I think if you're familiar with the Premier League and relegation and things like that, the same thing exists for basketball. So unfortunately, I think they've, I think, I think they folded up and were relegated a few times. But you know, at the time we were, when I was there, we were, you know, playing in Newcastle and Manchester and London and you know cool Leicester. Experience. Yeah, so got to go, you know, travel all over England and play some pretty good competition, and it was a, a good experience for sure. And and yeah, it was a great time. You know, it's funny, we're in May, early May, and so March Madness is just over Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. I'm sure you're in withdrawal like some of my basketball friends. Um, (laughs) I do like watching March Madness. I don't care much about regular basketball, but other than March Madness. But what's interesting to me is one of my friends who's very knowledgeable, and he played a little bit in that same, uh, in Europe. He was saying is there are so many sensational basketball players at the college level. And he said, and pros a lot of times are playing for 10, 15 years. He goes, so there's not enough. <laughs> there's not enough. No. Spots. <laughs> he said, we could have so many pro teams. He said, because, mm-hmm. and he says, that's why they're all getting sucked up into Europe. He oh, said, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I was maybe not quite as good as even some of my teammates that came before and after me. And, and some of them are, one of them still playing. I think he's going into his 13th or 14th year right now. I was just watching him on YouTube actually last week playing for the Vulcan championship. He's in Bulgaria. So yeah, there's, I mean, he, there's incredible players there. It's kind of like the capacity issue we have here in in trucking, Joe. There's, uh, there's only, there's only so many trucks for so many loads. So, uh, when you, when you only draft, you know, 40, 50, 60, Americans each year in the NBA draft, it, it leaves right. a, a lot of good players left. <laughs> my grandfather and my uncle both played pro basketball here in the States. And I was like, that was when six foot white guys could still be playing <laughs> pro basketball. I imagine now they'd be lucky to get to 
a good college team like the one you were on. So I always think that when you play those college athletics, you really learn time management, you learn discipline, you learn to drive yourself in a way that few do. I never played athletics at that level, but I always say like I'm still molded by just <laughs> little league and, you know, and high school stuff, playing hockey and baseball. I had to play, I'm from Dearborn, Michigan. I think it was the law that we play sports every mm-hmm. season played something sometimes mm-hmm. two sports and i remember like getting out of my football equipment and changing into my hockey equipment many times so Absolutely. fantastic fantastic background to have so after you got done with your basketball career you got done with your masters in england what was your first gig yeah so i actually i my parents had since moved to the suburbs of chicago and and i was finishing my thesis at the time and i was honestly i was getting extremely antsy i was so antsy i, I wanted to to get to work and do something. And I had a a couple of friends that were at Coyote Logistics at the time. And this was, I guess, 20, it was just late 2013, I think, 2013. And, you know, so they had, I think Coyote, they were founded in what, 08, 08-ish, 06, maybe 06. The rocket ship. (laughs) Yeah, the rocket ship. So they were, you know, they were well on their way by all means and very established. But I, I, of course, you know, I didn't know anything about it. So I uh, went and interviewed and, and really liked the people there that I spoke with and just jumped, you know, in head first. And I think they, to this day, not just Coyote, but a lot of those big Chicago brokerages, you know, they, they definitely liked their athletes. There were certainly a lot around. It was, it was an easy transition for me, I think, just because of the competition, the long hours, you know, the, the really the hard work that I could continue there and, and that I really was able to kind of transition that into the work life, which is certainly different than, you know, just going right. to the gym early. <laughs> so, <Right>. uh, <laughs> so that's, that's where I kicked off. I feel like you people up in Western Michigan are more aligned with Chicago than Detroit. <laughs> it, like it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, I still stay true to my roots, Joe, with the Detroit sports teams, but um, but you're closer to Chicago. <laughs> but I, I had to endure all of the uh, the Chicago cable network growing up. So I never got to see, this is before, <laughs> you know, all the cool tools online where you could watch any team at any point. So I had to watch the Cubs and the Bears and all that stuff growing up. <laughs> it must have been a little painful. Of course, I'd take the Bears over the Lions any day. So you went to Coyote then. So you learned, you learned the freight business. That won't, what oh, was yeah. next? <laughs> learned the freight business. I had a great time. I was primarily in sales roles there. Did a little, you know, kind of scratch the itch of, of mentoring, coaching a little bit through some of the opportunities there. And, and I actually connected with a family friend going back to sports. I was, I was arch nemesis with a, a crosstown rival whose uncle, Mike Welch, started Express One and later sold to Brad Jacobs which became oh, wow. XBO Logistics. So, and, and he's unfortunately actually passed. Mike Welsh did, unfortunately. But he actually, I had a conversation with him in, I think it was late 2017, 2018. I'd been at Coyote for four or five years. And, and he mentioned, hey, there's this guy in Tennessee who's, he's always doing something. You know, it's, he's got ideas. He's, uh, he's very, very sharp, very intelligent. I think you should talk to him because I was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. So sure enough, talked to Craig, Craig Fuller at this point, And he had this, you know, was talking me through this idea and some of his VPs at the time, Freight Futures, which was kind of the original idea of trans risk at the time, which was before mm-hmm. I became Freight Waves. So and I, I studied finance in school, very interested. I was like, this is, 
this right is my alley. Yeah, this is right up my alley. I was like, I'm right, right up my freight alley. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> this is right up my freight alley. So, I mean, Joe, I jumped in a U-Haul and took my fiance down to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I think a lot of people thought we were kind of crazy and multi-families. And we laugh now because we closed on our house when the pandemic went wild and we maybe could have just stayed in Chicago and because <laughs> everyone's remote now. But but no, we, we definitely haven't looked back. It's been an incredible ride so far. And yes, yeah, so I've been here for the last three years doing anything and everything related to Sonar from, from sales, you know, product development with our team. And I've really had a lot of fun with it. So come winter time and when you're not in Michigan and you're not in Chicago, do you miss winter? <laughs> <laughs> that's been, that's been a, just a, just an absolute ray of sunshine, Joe. It's been, it's been when I, I think both a couple of years, back to back years, we golfed on New Year's day down here. So the mild temps we we've been really enjoying, that's for sure. Right, right. Boy, I can see, I, again, for anyone in the Michigan area, it's the law. You have to go down to Florida. It, and <laughs> I've driven down there many times. And I always did stop in Chattanooga and, you know, just kind of recognize the name from whatever. And, you know, it was just kind of a, a place to drive through, but not so much anymore. <laughs> not so much anymore. It's a, it's a thriving metropolis of all things freight. The Silicon Valley of Freight, as we like to call it. <laughs> yes, it is. I did a, actually I did a podcast called the Silicon Valley of Freight or Silicon Valley of Trucking with Greg Fuller. <laughs> so I will actually I'll put that in the show notes in case uh, you guys haven't heard that. It was very interesting <laughs> talking to Craig Fuller. So let's get into the topic today. So the topic is reducing cost, risk, and carbon with Brad. <laughs> so there you go. Brad. One of the things we talked about when we were prepping for this is we're all, everybody's always about reducing costs, which is super important. But if you talk to supply chain guys, they don't, they always want to reduce costs. But if you're a supply chain guy, you always want to reduce risk. Mm-hmm. Always. So it's not just cost, it's cost and risk. Mm-hmm. And, and now more and more supply chains are saying, I also need to reduce our carbon impact. So rather than just talk about one problem, <laughs> which is cost, we're going to talk about cost, risk, and carbon. And so getting back to this problem, when we talk about the space we're in, you said, what, it's a $750 billion freight market? That's just truckload? Just, yeah, just truckload or moving over the land, Joe, in, in North America. So it's a massive space, right? And, and there's even our largest participants are only a couple percent of that. So, you know, we're faced with this problem and issue of fragmentation, you know, different operating systems, different softwares. Silos, yeah. Silos, yeah. So it's the access to a sample size of data or, you know, number of different data sets that's representative of that is very difficult. It's very right. difficult to attain. And really what you talk about is it, regardless of what problem you're trying to solve in the world, usually having good data is a good starting point. And mm-hmm. the problem in this massive space is it's not a monolith. It's There's reefer stuff, there's <laughs> flatbeds, there's big trucks, small trucks, oversized, the all, you know, million different iterations and all the regions are different. So getting your hands on good data that's not old and dirty is yeah. not easy. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I mean, we've We've invested not only very heavily in acquiring, you know, these disparate data sets that need to be cleansed. So not only invested in the actual data acquisition, but also in the team to automate right. 
and set up the algorithms and the machine right. learning from our data science team. So that's not only are we, you know, a company that's founded by, you know, Craig Fuller, who comes from the industry, our president ran Transplace for 12 years. A lot of our sales and operating and customer success members are from the industry, you know, long, right, right. long right. careers that understand the data. But we've also added that aspect of we need the people that know what to do with data, right? And, and how right, to right. <laughs> how to cleanse it, how to make it in readable formats that, that right. is usable. So, right. Yeah, and that's ultimately what you want. You want to be able to, first of all, you need the data. But just getting data, if you say, hey, here it is, I'm going to give you a file, it's, it's massive and you can take a look at it. Big deal. I need my <laughs> data. First off, the data has to be put in some sort of context, right? Mm-hmm. It could be, as I said, old and dirty. Old, dirty data does me no good. I need mm-hmm. that in, I need you guys to clean it up, put it in some sort of context, and that's what you guys do. And then I need it to be usable. I need it in a format that I can actually look at, an interface where I go, oh, I get it. I, I can see something here. Sorted by industries and sorted by yeah, regions, yeah. right? And then I think the next piece of that is I don't need information on yesterday <laughs> unless it mm-hmm. can help me with what I'm doing today and tomorrow. And so it has to be tied together with some sort of forecast, right? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, we there's certainly value in doing postmortem, right? What happened? How did we get there? Let's where were we? How did we do, you know, over this time frame? There's not to completely glaze over that and say that's not something that's important to have the ability to do that. But at the same time, you know, the big data set is that's, you know, now been served up to you in a way that you can use is is really only useful if it's helping you understand what's happening right, right. now and what's going to happen. Right. And as you, I think you mentioned early on with just cost as well as not the only thing. How can we plan around, you know, risk and see it before it's right. happening to, so we can be proactive. So, you know, that's a huge, that's really a huge initiative for us and, and that you'll see in all of our products and solutions is that, you know, we want to get that in your hands right. as something's happening or before something's happening. So you can do something about it. Right. So when we talk about cost data, you can, so you guys collect cost data from a lot of different sources, I'm assuming, and then you clean it up in some way. And then, so if I'm a shipper and I say, Hey, I'm shipping 800 shipments a month, I want to be able to compare it to the market to make sure that I'm not paying too much. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we've built out the ability for users that, you know, may not be as technical to utilize our user interface through that data and to upload a CSV or a spreadsheet of their network so they can see, you know, all of their lanes and they can see them at a lane level, buy equipment type, what am I paying against the market? What am I paying against my peers? And, you know, ultimately, how is that changing? Where are their opportunities? Where are their risks? And, and again, how is that changing day over day? Where do we see that adding? Where do we see that going through some of the proprietary data outputs we have? So if I look in, I can say, okay, so I if I gave you all my lanes, my 800 lanes, you could say, Joe, you paid, looks like 2% over market. And I might go, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. But maybe that's not a bad thing. And maybe, mm-hmm. uh, maybe there's a reason. Maybe I'm getting a little higher level service, whatever it is. But at least something I'm tethered to something in the market mm-hmm. now. I'm not just having to hear somebody say, well, rates went up last week. That's why you paid so much more, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I can kind of check my 3PL, my broker, and say, yeah, that makes sense. And if I'm 2% over market this month, maybe I'm going to say, that's fine. And maybe next month I'm 2% over market. What I want to make sure is that at no point do I go 3 4 5% over market, right? At least I can say, let's have a conversation about what changed. Why am I paying more than market rate? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, I think, you know, to that point, are you shipping a product that transportation is 50% of, of your product? And, you know, every percent is massive and it's huge and, right. and you really want to drive costs down. So can we show those opportunities or are you shipping just in time, time sensitive, you know, you know, right. items or commodities that you want to be above market because you want to ensure service and then you want to see our daily inputs or our right. outputs to you of how are your markets and lanes changing? Is there risk for routing guide failure? Are right. you going to have issues with capacity on these lanes? So we want to, as a third party, you know, we want to provide you with the data and the information. And ultimately, we've all operated in the industry. Our team has. We understand every supply chain has different wants and needs. And that's, you know, we work closely with our customers to figure that out and to say, okay, what do you want to do with this information, right? How do you want to use it? Right. So if I'm looking at that cost, I can say, look, I just want to make sure I'm tethered to something. I want to make sure that I'm not worse than, too much worse than market, obviously. But I think also beyond cost, I want to be able to once a month meet with my 3PL, meet with my broker and say, hey, tether me to something. Show me the benchmark, right? So I want that. That's for cost. Now, I think we all, that's what we tend, that's our default in this business <laughs> is to say, let's talk about cost. But if I'm a supply chain manager, if I'm a production man, tell me about risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when I was in automotive, I think the cost of transportation logistics was 5 or 10% of our revenue. So I did not care. I would typically, when I was in engineering or program management, very seldom care about transportation costs. What I did care about, though, was the risk. So how do you guys measure risk? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And I think to put another stat out there, Joe, you know, over 90% of capacity, truckload capacity resides in trucking companies with less than 10 trucks. I mean, it's wildly fragmented. So to your point with risk and why it is so important to see it, understand it and act upon it is you're so subjected to it just based on the fact that multiple participants from a shipper perspective, from a broker's perspective, they're all competing for capacity, right? You're competing for capacity on a daily, monthly, quarterly, annual basis, however you interact with these carrier partners. So the ability to understand that, not only strategically, in your markets and understand your lanes and your DCs, but also from an ongoing perspective. So what we've been able to do, and to your point, other providers, data providers, other you know large 3PLs, they may provide cost benchmarks. But something that we've been able to do right. on top of something we've been able to do on top of that is that's been really valuable and you'll see us report on it all the time through Freightways.com is our tender rejection and tender volume data. And that daily data point that is you know, less than 24 hours, it's between one to four days in advance of loads being picked up. It's showing you in real time what freight is being tendered from shippers through, right. you know, tender transactions and how is capacity reacting to it? Are they accepting or rejecting? So put that in very simple layman terms. What do you mean when you say tender and then what do you mean by tender rejection? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, or yeah, I guess the flip side would be, you know, tender acceptance or primary tender acceptance, if you will, if you're looking at the things slightly differently. But we're partnered with software vendors that are capturing, you know, load transactions, EDI transactions. So we're seeing those in real time. And and we're seeing, you know, when X shipper tenders 10 loads for the week to X carrier, are they being accepted in the routing guide or are they being rejected. So correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm I'm the broker or shipper and I said, Brad, I want you to be the primary on this lane. Mm-hmm. And then when you reject it, that's a tender rejection. And mm-hmm. and that's what Freight Waves captures. And that's not captured anywhere else, I don't think it, right? 
Correct. I mean, it's you'll see, you know, some shippers will capture it internally. Some large brokerages may have access to it, some large right. managed trends. But again, you, you get to that sample size, right? You know, do they have a, enough of the market and the markets that you need? And that's where we kind of fill that void and fill that gap is, right. is we have a statistically relevant sample size of that across the, the country. Right. So if I'm a shipper and I find out that, oh my God, my primary tender rejections are up 20% over last week. Something went wrong. Something's gone wrong in the market. I, I need mm-hmm. to, I need to react. And then if I find out that the tender rejection at the secondary or tertiary area, I guess, I don't know if you guys, <laughs> how many do you track down? Do you track primary, secondary? Yeah. So we'll see the rejections through the routing guide. So we will, we will capture, we, you know, through our data science team, we build those into a, you know, there's various proprietary scoring mechanisms to build it into a single representative score of what's being rejected versus accepted. But yeah, we're seeing that, right? And why is that happening? There's, you know, not always necessarily the reason, but Joe, why do people typically not accept freight? They either don't have a capacity or they have options that are maybe paying more elsewhere. So either right. way, it's a disruption, right? So either way, we're trying to identify in real time disruptions so you can proactively act. Right. So if I'm the shipper and you're the trucking company and I one day you're accepting all these tenders, so you're at 100% tender acceptance and then the pandemic hits and I go, hey, Brad, uh, here's your tender. And you go, yeah, Joe, uh, <laughs> not so sure I want it because uh, rates just skyrocketed and you're not paying enough, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons people would say mm-hmm. there's other options in the market. Yeah, I mean, what you that's certainly one, you know, there's optionality, there's, you know, there's lead times, right? If you're, there's ad hoc, you know, maybe you're going over your, you know, 10 loads a week, maybe you're, because of COVID, you're seeing, you know, 15, 20, 30 loads. Right. And, and there's just, you know, you're seeing a surge in demand as well. So there's a lot of things. So you just said a few things. So optionality meaning you have options. And then the second you said is lead time. So if I call you and I don't give you enough lead time, you say, Joe, I don't have a guy in a truck circling your factory. So <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have somebody available, you know, that fast. So you need to give me longer lead time if you want me to mm-hmm. accept these. And then what's some other things that would cause them to reject it? Yeah, I mean, I think they'll typically stem, right, from price and availability. And, and if you think about it in a way, and, you know, we talk about having market visibility. If you're typically tendering freight in a, with a one-day lead time and competitors in the market, and the market averages three days lead time, let's say, in this hypothetical example, right. and you're seeing, you know, volatility and, you know, let's just use in March, April of last year or when COVID was, you know, soaring or when we really experience any volatile time in a market, you know, if you're an operator with trucks or trying to find capacity from a 3PO perspective and you have other customers that, are tendering you freight in that moment, they're going to cover it, right? That's that's their job. So if they don't even know that Joe Shipper is sending us freight a day before pickup, sometimes it's not even in their control, right? So that's kind of where we, you know, we've seen that that can come into account is that right. that volatility, that demand and the supply just, it's exacerbated when capacity is much harder to come by, right? Right. And always in the supply chain, if there's a problem, you always have to look upstream. So if I mm-hmm. say, oh, well, you know, Brad's trucking company was 100% accepting my tenders and now he's not mm-hmm. uh, now he's down to 80 percent. what changed and you could say joe your lead time changed you first off you shipped 15 or you wanted to ship 15 loads rather than 10 mm-hmm. so you always can go back upstream and say so the tender rejection rate doesn't just say okay brad lost his mind and he's not taking my freight anymore it could be hey i want to be a great 
provider to you, Joe, but you got to give me more lead time. The market's gone crazy. You might have to give me a little more money, a whole bunch of different things that changed in that yeah. dynamic. And I think what's interesting is when I was still at the transportation logistics, we didn't measure tender rejection. It was just, it happened. People rejected <laughs> a tender and then you go, get a new truck, call somebody else. What went wrong? I hate those guys today. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and Joe, what we're starting to see too is we've actually had carriers or 3PLs refer shipper customers to us to access seller. So not only are we, I think we're starting to see less of the me versus you or you versus me scenario of, you know, you're being mean to me, so I'm going to be mean to you later. And let's let's use this to communicate. And what are we going to do as we're seeing these things happen? So it's, you know, it's almost created slightly better communication to an extent or the, or the beginnings right. of better communication. I'm a big scorecard guy. And I always say, I used to always say, I want scorecard, scorecard, scorecard. But really the value of a scorecard is that when something changes and you say, why am I only at 92%? I'm normally at 98%. It begins a conversation. Mm-hmm. And this, this tender rejection was never really part of the, and probably still isn't for a lot of people, isn't part of the conversation and it needs to be. If you're getting this tender rejection, you need to be able to put some data around it and say, hey, there's a reason. Maybe Brad's company's struggling. Maybe the market rates popped up, but at least let's talk about it. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, if I don't have data around it, it's all just kind of he said, she said. It's very anecdotal, subjective, not what we do as professionals. So first off, you guys can help us measure costs, which is good. You're going to clean that up, put it in a format that's usable and give me some other information that allows me to actually forecast. And then second is this rejection rate. I like that tender rejection. And now I think this is the new thing. You guys can measure carbon impact. So talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So along the lines of what we're doing with some of the lane level, DC level and network level analysis of where your cost is, you know, where your risk is or your opportunity is through some of our scoring, where's your primary tender acceptance against the market, some of those benchmarks. We're also building in, you know, kind of the first release of FreightWaves Carbon Intelligence, which is, you know, our goal of breaking down carbon emissions, excuse me, by lane or distribution center. And again, the ability to see it at a network level. So, you know, our first step of this, right, Joe, is let's identify what are your emissions, you know, what are they on a single shipment level by equipment type? What are they at a lane level across for the entire year? And what are they at a DC in a network level? Right. So is that when you say you're measuring carbon, what do you actually measure? Is it what is the measurement you're using? Yeah, absolutely. So we're really, you know, we're taking the inputs of mileage and equipment type. And again, we can show that at a single lane or, you know, we can multiply that across all the miles for a DC network. And then we're, we're providing you an output of metric tons on that specific lane or across those number of lanes. So again, our first step of this product is to identify. And then as we continue to build this out, we're going to start providing you the ability to have mode shifts or, you know, where can we potentially shift, you know, these lanes so we can cut back on our emissions on that specific lane because we have volume density. You know, it's a a potential intermodal lane. It's maybe not as time sensitive. So just starting to kind of break down the opportunities to, you know, be, you know, a more environmental, you know, sustainable company. Yep. And it's interesting. I see a lot of the industry leaders are moving towards sustainable solutions. And I think my advice to everybody is one new metric, one new KPI. (laughs) Don't measure everything. Don't get carried away. Just start. And I think that the tendency is always, well, we don't have enough good data. We want this. We want that. Just start. 
as soon as you start, the market kind of starts to react. Like you guys say right now, it's new. I guarantee in a year, we're talking about the same thing. You're going to go, it started off a year ago <laughs> like this, and now we're doing this, 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 and this. And I think that's what's required. And I, I say this on the podcast a lot is consumers are demanding companies be sustainable and brands mm-hmm. are reacting. And it's just a matter of time before the brand says, hey, Brad, Joe, what are you doing for sustainability? And if I can't say we're measuring it, right. and it's not perfect, I mean, I actually reduced it by measuring it, but that's the first step. You have to start. And the first step, add a KPI, one yeah. KPI to your scorecard. <laughs> and I think is this is as good as any, which is, so it's vehicle miles. I mean, it's miles by vehicle. So, yep. so like a reefer uses more energy or puts out more carbon than a, Correct. than a drive in than a dry box. Exactly. Exactly. And, and to your point, you know, there's, you know, the, the scope three emissions, which is, you know, primarily what you're seeing in our sector with this tool, there's, you know, there's natural inefficiencies just in how complex a lot of supply chains are. So if we can help identify those to start and then help to show or, or provide ways to cut back on that, you know, that's our ultimate goal. And to your point, it's going to take on, it will take on, you know, a whole line of its own and, and the ability to be very predictive and proactive and, and really dial that into your specific network and where your opportunities are. Right. Brad, we've always in this business always worried about how do I reduce cost? How do mm-hmm. I reduce empty miles? How do I get rid of empty backhauls? Right. We've all, each one of those things, if I'm worried about driving down the cost, that means I took four LTLs and made it into one truckload. Or I said, hey, look, I've had, I moved 75 truckloads a week. Is there a way to consolidate it and do 70? By doing that, I reduced the cost, but I also reduced, I also reduced my carbon impact. So mm-hmm. if we just start measuring this and this, a lot of the stuff we've been doing for a long time is good for the environment. Empty miles is the worst thing we can do for the environment. Mm-hmm. So we need to stop that. And again, the first <laughs> step is data. So you guys can help us measure not only cost, not only risk, which again, I don't think we do a good enough job measuring that risk. So that's fantastic. And now brand new carbons. So when did you guys kick this thing off? So yeah, so the carbon piece is a couple of months old. So it's very much a newer, been an initiative at the executive level within right. Freightways for quite some time. But this is kind of the first release um, to the right. public, if you will. So it's a couple of months old. And the nice thing is that it's embedded within our sonar supply chain intelligence tool, which is, you know, it's already given you all the insights of, to your point, risk and cost. And, and now you have you have that visibility into you know, what your metric tons of carbon are on, on a given right. lane, DC level, or at, right. on your network. I'll tell you what, there's another business risk. Yeah, I won't be able to measure this one, but it's out there. The risk of losing the business when you say, I don't measure carbon impact. I don't have anything that I measure on sustainability. There's a chance you're going to lose. And that's, I, we're already seeing the market leaders all move mm-hmm. towards some sort of measurement. So it is time, guys. So I'm going to summarize, and then I want to get your final thoughts on this. So. What you guys do over at Sonar is you take this huge market, $750 billion, and you clean up this old, dirty data, get it, put it in a usable format for us, and then you put it together with some market data, and you say, here's your forecast, here's some insights that you would never come up with on your own. And it used to be, I think, probably just on cost and Mm -hmm. this tender rejection, but now it is added carbon. And I know we've simplified a, a very complex business down into very, <laughs> <laughs> very uh, simple terms, but 
it's a fantastic information. And again, this is what we all have data, but I, we want to take those data and put them into insights that we can make forecasts from. And I think that's the cool thing about sonar. So, Brad, final thoughts on this. We covered a lot of ground here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we're, again, to your point, I think, and I think it's helpful for your synopsis there because outside looking in, hopefully, you know, you can, you can help me not get too much in the weeds because we're, <laughs> we're working on solving a lot of problems here for the supply chain at FreightWaves with our sonar product lines. But yeah, ultimately, you know, we're, we want to give users the ability to benchmark their entire network, analyze it, monitor it, and then forecast it. You know, and, right. and along the way, once you've done that, it's a it's a continuous procurement process, right? Once you've forecasted, there's going to be events, there's going to be black swan right. events, there's going to be things that happen. So, you know, then that real time data becomes that much more important again because you need to know what's happening when the unexpected happens. So, you know, that's what when you look at our risk data in the tender volume and rejection stuff, and, and our cost data in the carbon the carbon product line, that's what we're trying to do within building out each of those is provide our users the ability to benchmark, analyze, monitor, and forecast, and then then keep that continuous process. Right. And if you, again, you know, the topic is, you know, reducing cost, risk, and carbon. And really the first step in in everything is collecting some data. You know, if you said, hey, I did a good job on reducing risk, and you go, oh, well, we don't have as many tender rejections. How do you know? Uh, I don't know because I don't measure it. <laughs> right. yeah, I have a feeling it's better. <laughs> right. That will get you fired. So what we need is data. And again, I think always you want to be able to compare against not, you know, it's nice to be able to compare against what you did last year, except if I'm comparing what I did pre-COVID to COVID, not very useful. Comparing mm-hmm. May 2021 to May 2020, not a particularly good comparison. Right. So what I need to do is say, I need to measure myself on cost, risk, and and carbon against the market. How am I doing compared to everybody else? Because that's what I'm selling. I'm selling against the market. Anyway, Absolutely. so how do we reach out to you? First off, who do you guys serve and how do we reach out and talk to you over at FreightWaves? Yeah, absolutely. So right now we're serving the third party, 3PL, 4PL market, the, the carriers and and shippers, as well as some financial institutions from transport analysts to, you know, even some speculators that, you know, want to know what's going on in the industry. You know, we have, as we kind of highlighted, one of the largest, the largest and fastest from a frequency reporting standpoint data set on transportation. So there's, you know, we kind of serve those four segments and it's growing. We've seen, you know, I think maybe a nudge along because of COVID from the, the shipper marketplace and some of the, the recent tools that, that we've built out from Sonar Supply Chain Intelligence and this carbon initiative. So we've seen that it's growing hand over fist every month, every quarter. So we're excited about that. We're excited to work with our customers. They're ultimately what's helping us move each product and solution along is getting that feedback and going back to it needs to be, you know, this all this great information needs to be in a way that, you know, you can use, understand and make actionable. So right. that's been really helpful. As far as, you know, getting in touch with me, you can find me on, on LinkedIn at Brad Ganane. And Joe, maybe we'll post. I know the last name is, is tough to, right. <laughs> tough to spell. Yeah, I'll, put, then, it in, I'll um, put it in the show notes. I'll put that in the show notes and a link to Sonar. And by the way, do you guys, are we back to having events with Freightwaves? Are we, we going yes. to meet in person? Thank you for that as well. We are going to do our F3 events here in November, November 8th, which we can also maybe include a link to that. Yeah. It's going to be here in Chattanooga. I know that's been what does that something stand for? that Future of Freight Conference F3. 
So we're really excited. I know Craig is ecstatic to finally bring, you know, we've done Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas. We've, we've done some of the big transportation markets, if you will, in the past. And, and we're bringing it to Chattanooga. So, so we're really excited to show people Chattanooga and, and have them experience, you know, what, what we get to experience on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. For people probably, I always think that every city people get this vision in their mind about what it is, right? So I live in Mich- I live in Michigan and people think people think, oh yeah, you you live in some slum somewhere in Detroit. But it's it's a nice place to live or they think you're up north shooting deer. Right. There you go. Or, yep. or, or, or whatever. So there's always these, you know, ideas that we have. And I think it's great that, to bring everyone down to Chattanooga to see, hey, it uh it's not the old Chattanooga. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the not the dirty self. city. Yeah, it's, it's not the, the dirty self. city. <laughs> right. Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. So that is in November. That's the future of freight, and it's in Chattanooga, which, by the way, is warmer in November than uh, than Chicago yes. land. <laughs> it, will, it will be. It will be nice. So we're yes, we're we're very excited, and thank you for bringing that up. And yeah, uh, I'm sure we'll see you there too. Right. I am thinking about it. It's funny because I work from home and I never really worried so much because I would travel to see clients or whatever, but I have not traveled much lately. So Mm. yeah, who knows? Maybe November would be a nice time to get out of the house. Anyway, Brad, thank you so much for taking the time today. This is really interesting what you guys are doing. And again, I think it's, it gets overshadowed. You guys do these great events. You have all this great media, the podcast, the shows, the, the articles, and everyone goes, yeah, Freightways is great. And they forget they do, <laughs> they created this information that is second to none. Right. So good stuff. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is always very much appreciated. And until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com.